today. I was going to say good to see you today, but I don't see you. You see me. And um, so it's a little bit of a one-way street here, you know. I have to not have a bad hair morning going on here as I sit in front of this camera, these cameras and this microphone. And uh, But hey, we're here together this morning. We are in John, the third chapter, if you're following along. Uh, and we're not doing necessarily verse by verse right now. We're working through the life of Christ, um, and lessons from the life of Christ is what this uh, uh, phase, this this series of teaching is called. 
and we're just studying his life and seeing what lessons we can learn. Last week, we started down the road of looking at what John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer actually might be more accurate, what John the Baptizer had to say about Jesus. And we didn't get very far in John 3, picking up verse 22 and following. So uh, we will we will jump back in here at uh, verse 22 and... Um, see what John had to say. I think there were some questions last week, perhaps, uh, that uh, I answered, and I'm always game for questions. Uh, You put them in the comments, and I will do my best to try to engage with it uh, and do my best to try to answer it. And sometimes one of the things I want to ask us is if we are looking for a particular answer. Sometimes we will ask a question, and I don't think this was the case last week, the question about the Apocrypha, uh, the books of the Apocrypha, but sometimes I, I, I wonder if, if we're wanting to substantiate something, and and, and if you know, th- and that's okay. It's not necessarily a wrong thing uh, at all. And sometimes it's a very good thing, um, but always to ask ourselves motives because sometimes we have a preconceived idea that the Bible might say something different about, and we just need to, um, just need to think about that. So, a uh, little interaction here: Priscilla and Steve uh, Harriman have left us, heading on their way back to Virginia. Uh, we've been blessed to have them as a part of our family now for several summers, maybe six summers, maybe. Something like that. I, I'm going to guess, maybe. Um, and uh, apparently, you must be pretty close to where Walter was. We were talking about Wells, Vermont, and how close it would be to Plattsburgh uh, and, and that type of a thing, if you guys are all kind of in the same neck of the woods over there. Um, but. Uh, uh, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but uh, we're going to miss uh, those, our folks that uh, have headed out uh, for the winter months. Also, I want to just make mention, it was shared here, Stephanie uh, Kerrigan uh, will be having knee surgery. You can see it back up in the uh, uh, comments, and um we want to pray for her knee replacement. I, I'm guessing that's today. I, I think that's how I'm taking that as uh, as Don shared that request with us. So, Lord, we do stop and we just lift Stephanie to you this morning. We pray that you would strengthen her. We pray that you would uh, give her peace. We pray that you would guide the hands of the surgeons and the anesthetists and all the medical staff that's involved in her knee replacement. There, there would be no complications and that this might uh, affect the intended result of greater mobility in her knees. So we lift Stephanie to you this morning uh, with the surgery. We lift uh, Steve and Priscilla to you this morning as they're uh, on the road traveling uh, back to uh, Virginia. Lord, watch over them. They, they might be in Plattsburgh here for uh, for a few days or a week or something, but as they traveled, we do want to pray for them that you would just... Uh, Keep them safe in their travels. Now, Lord, as we look at your word, would you uh, give us your guidance by your spirit, we pray uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, over into the text, uh, we're going to pick up John 3.22 after this, and we talked about this last week, so there's a little bit of recap after this. Jesus' disciples went out to the Judean countryside, 
where he spent some time with them and baptized. We, we spent uh, considerable time talking about this phrase, spending time with, and just what that means. Diatribo, uh, John 3.22, spent time with, to, uh, to rub off onto, and uh, that, that, that's what he was doing. We talked also about, you know, people say the church has cliques, not, not necessarily our church, but that's a thing that people will say about churches is they have all these cliques. Sometimes that is true, uh, but sometimes it's also true that those people that are uh, invited into things have invested themselves, uh, are serving, are working, are uh, leading, uh, are putting in lots of time in a week uh, in 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 the ministry of the life of the church, and uh, so therefore they they get the attention, uh, conversations about all kinds of things that take place. So I just want to just remind you about those few things that we talked about. Jesus had the one, Jesus had the three, looks like this, three, uh, and uh, Jesus uh, had the 12 and the 70 and the 120 and, and these concentric circles ever widening out. But those who got to spend the most time with him were those uh, in, the, in the mix of the ministry, engaged with him in the ministry. So uh, they got that type of attention. Now, continuing on, it says, uh, now John was baptizing at uh, Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison, it says. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So we're talking about baptism. Uh, baptism is like a form of washing, and so there's this uh, a particular Jew. It just says a certain Jew. It doesn't name this Jew, but a particular Jew, and some of the disciples... Uh, began to have this argument over ceremonial washing. I mean, I, I can see this Jew saying, well, this doesn't really count because it really is blah, 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 blah. Uh, and uh, I can see John's disciples saying, well, wait, these people are being baptized for the in repentance. They're repenting of their sins. They're being baptized for the remission of their sins. They're, they're turning from their sins publicly and acknowledging that, that they're turning from sin to God. And, and what is so wrong with that? And, and you can hear how this uh, argument perhaps ensued. Sometimes we make much of little things. There are little things, and we make much of those little things, and, and that perhaps is what this certain Jew was doing. It says this, Then they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone's going to him. I mean, they're, they're kind of thinking, hey, Jesus has become the competition now. And, and I mean, I can honestly say to you, sometimes that does become a little bit of a challenge. You begin to feel a little bit um, uh, you know, is there competition? And, and that, that can happen among churches. Now, I try to think, hey, we're all the kingdom work together. We are, and yet sometimes there are people uh, who will come and say, and maybe sometimes even rather innocently say to pastors, not just me, but, but other pastors, well, at such and such a church they, or at such and such a church they, and oftentimes the intent is to simply share an idea. 
but sometimes the way that it comes across, or even sometimes the way it's maybe received and maybe shouldn't be received this way, is, you know, we could do a better job, which that usually is the case. Or, um, hey, we've, we've got we've to take some strides here because the, other, the competition's catching up with us, or they're passing us, or they're taking people from us, or they're blah, 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 blah. That's called a Steveism, what I just did there. And because uh, I learned that from my friend Steve, um, but we we get down that road, and sometimes it, a pastor or leadership can feel that you're saying you're saying you're saying we're failing, you know, because the people are going over there. But notice what John will do. John will will go and say something very stellar here, in response to uh, what. Uh, what they're saying, because again, verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing. Everyone's going to him. And John goes on and says this, a man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves could testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. So John knew who he was. John knew his gifts. John knew his abilities. John knew his skills. John knew um, uh, what he was called to do. John knew that he was called uh, to be the forerunner uh, before Jesus. He, he knew that fact. He knew that reality, and that was not a problem to him. He was to set the stage. You know, that's one of the things I was thinking about yesterday. Sometimes, uh, and I was thinking about it in, in NFL terms, uh, whether you like NFL or not, but what I was kind of thinking about were, were the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they they just seem like they're on fire this year. Now, I'm not really closely following. I, I haven't really watched the entirety of a football game. Well, it's not true. I watched the Steelers lose the other night uh, to the Browns. Um, but that that was at night, and I was with one one eye open. But I I have noted just the news that the, the Miami Dolphins are doing well, and I got thinking about how much uh, work, how how much of the groundwork was laid by the previous coach or the coach before that, I, and and then I, I I transitioned that over to church ministry and and how much groundwork is laid by a previous pastor, and uh, you know I I thought it. You know, if if God were to call me on, uh, what groundwork is there here? Am I leaving things in a disarray? Have we made some strides? Have we? Because you never know. And the call is to the work uh, and to do the work. But what groundwork is laid? And, and, and uh, what groundwork was laid by two or three pastors ahead of me? And uh, what groundwork would I lay if, if something were to happen to me? What would the next pastor say coming into a church like ours? Um, sometimes we're called to lay the groundwork. Sometimes we never see the fruition. Story of uh, Dwight L. Moody. I mean, he had a Sunday school teacher who led him to Christ, and uh, that Sunday school teacher who led him to Christ um, was a Sunday school teacher. Not a small group of boys. Uh, was faithful in teaching a small group of boys. I, I'm not sure that there's even a, a record of what his name was, 
but he led Dwight L. Moody to Christ, and Dwight L. Moody went on to be one of America's greatest evangelists in that era. Uh, Dwight L. Moody went on to uh, plant uh, Moody Church. I'm not sure that he called it Moody Church, but at least it's named after him. Uh, He began Moody Bible Institute, which is now one of the foremost Bible institutes, Bible colleges, uh, anywhere in the world. and all because of a non-named, a non-descript Sunday school teacher was faithful in his task of, of trying to disciple the boys, like the junior high age group of boys that he had. And so we give thanks. John knew his part. And, and, and sometimes what we have to say is, I have been faithful to do my part. I have been faithful to do my aspect, my area, my role of ministry and and to know what our part is. John knew he wasn't Jesus. John was glad that people were going over to Jesus and his disciples uh, and that they were being baptized because John knew that Jesus was even greater. It's a good thing. John knew it. John had said, man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. Nothing more, nothing less. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. I've read that already, just kind of reiterating those verses. Uh, that, but then it goes on in verse 29 and says, the bridegroom belongs, I mean, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. <clears throat> the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Now, I, I want to give you a bunch of insight into this, and I've talked about this a little bit before. It says the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The first thing I want to acknowledge out of this, this verse is who is the bride of Christ? I mean, we, we just need to think about who is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church. And so we have to be careful that we're not taking pot shots at the church. Excuse me. I, I see some uh, some pastors that are shooting down this church and shooting down that church and shooting down another church, and, or even some Christians. I don't have to be pastors. Some Christians are so... Uh, you know, anti a bunch of different churches, uh, and we really shouldn't be. Uh, we need to um, be pro-church. Some people are uh, pro-megachurch. Uh, if it isn't a mega church, it's not successful. Some people are pro-house church. Well, you know, we're a tight-knit group of people, and then there are a whole bunch of churches in between. Friends, can I suggest to you that we are supportive of the church because it is the bride of Christ. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there can be heretical issues. There can be some doctrinal issues. Absolutely can be those types of things. But by and large, for us to stand back and, and to be supportive of the church. And, and listen, we have an Americanized church that we're comfortable with, with what the church looks like in the West. But friends, uh, we also need to understand that the church that we know and the way we do things and the way we function here in the West 
may not at all be the way the church functions in the East. They may have some different customs. They may have some different practices. The question is, are they committed to Jesus? Do they lift Jesus up? Do they believe in salvation by faith through grace alone or by grace through faith alone? Uh, do, do they believe that the Bible is the word of God? Uh, do they believe in the virgin birth? Do they believe in, in some of those uh, very foundational doctrines that you would read in things like the Apostles' Creed? So the way that they do things may look different than how we do things. The question is, are they committed to, to those to those foundational doctrines uh, of the scriptures. That is the question. Um, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. That's what we remember. That's what we look at. That's what we know. The bride, the church, belongs to Jesus. And, and so when we, when we or anybody stands back and starts just willy-nilly taking pot shots at other churches, because they're not the style of church. Now, I'm not talking doctrine. I I don't call the Unitarians a church, frankly, uh, because they're not. Uh, they're not the ecclesia. They're not the called out of God. And uh, so I, I, I just want to encourage us that the true church, those that are preaching the gospel, those that are lifting up Christ, those that are handling the Word of God, as the Word of God, uh, they are the church. So the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Then it goes on and says this a little bit more, and there, there's some insight into this that I want to give you. It says, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. Now, what is this talking about, waits and listens for him? Well, let me tell you just, just what this means when it says that the friend waits and listens for the bridegroom. Um, the friend that is listening, what's happened is that there's been the ceremonial aspect of, of the wedding itself. Often, uh, you know, in Jewish culture, perhaps this part, very brief, and I've shared this with you before, but what this passage is talking about, what it says that the bride, uh, the, the friend who attends the bridegroom, the best man, if you will, waits and listens for him. So where... So where is he listening? It says he stands and listens, waits and listens. He is standing outside the honeymoon suite. Uh, and so the, the wedding wasn't, the, the, the marriage wasn't offic uh, officialized. I mean, there may, may have been the ceremony, but it wasn't officialized until the couple consummated in, in, in the sexual act. And that is why we say that the sexual act is, is intended for the, the marriage bed between man and wife, husband, uh, man and woman. And uh, that is the, the consummate act. And so what, what it's talking about here in this verse, when it says that the, the friend who attends the bridegroom listens and waits for him, when the bridegroom says we are consummate, when the bridegroom would come to the door and say uh, we are now husband and wife, says that then the bridegroom is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. When the bridegroom says, we are now husband and wife. He says he's full of joy, and that joy is mine and is now complete. So the friend who attends the bridegroom waits, listens for him, 
and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I mean, for us to, to be listening for the bridegroom's voice, the next time we literally hear the bridegroom's voice will be at the return of Christ, and we will be completely full of joy at that time. Now, John goes on and says, that joy is mine and that joy is complete. John heard the bridegroom. Uh, John knew that Jesus had come for the establishment of the church. Uh, And he was joyful over the fact that the church would be, uh, would now begin. Uh, Its its tenure would now be, have its beginnings, would, would now be birthed. Uh, and, and that the bride and the bridegroom would be together. John was absolutely overjoyed. In that sense, John is calling himself the best man. John is calling himself uh, that one waiting at the door. Hopefully this gives you some insight uh, into uh, Jewish custom, uh, into this verse when it talks about the, the friend attending the bridegroom, waiting and listening for him. Uh, waiting for him to say it is now consummate, we are now married. And, and yet yet, and there's an aspect that we are still waiting for the return of Christ so that the bride and bridegroom can, can be together and so that the bride and bridegroom uh, can enjoy the, the great marriage feast together that, that is yet to come. Joy. The joy that John had knowing that Jesus had come. John is saying to his followers, look, I'm not upset about Jesus at all. This is exactly uh, what is supposed to, this is exactly what is supposed to be going on. And and I am fully behind this, absolutely, totally, fully behind this. That that is what uh, John the Baptist is saying. Verse 30, he says this, he must become greater, I must become less. I mean, that that is the Christian life, that Christ more and more become the center of our thoughts, uh, that Christ more and more become our highest value, that Christ, his character, his priorities uh, are imprinted on everything that we do. It shows up in our recreation. It shows up in uh, our work. It shows up uh, in, in our relationships that Christ becomes greater and we become less. Sometimes there is this modern teaching, Christianized teaching, that talks about you becoming more and you becoming more. And you be, when it's always about you, friends, I just want to suggest when the teaching is always about you, you might just be listening to teaching that, that is maybe, I'm not saying unequivocally, but maybe is false teaching. Because the true teaching will always lift up Christ. The true teaching will always speak uh, of the glory of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't teaching there that can inspire you and build you up and help you out. But when, when that is always the fare that you get, um, you just need to step back and go, well, wait a minute, what about Jesus? Where does Jesus factor into to what you are teaching us? And what about the glory of Christ? Where does that come? So John said these words, he must become greater, I must become less. And so 
for us today that that would be what we would say. He must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. Verse 31 says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. John realized that he came from the earth. He himself, John, came from the earth. He also realized that Jesus came from heaven. So he who comes from heaven is above all, and he's acknowledging that Jesus is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and no one accepts his testimony. But the man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. So the question for us is, do we accept Jesus' testimony about himself? Do we accept Jesus' testimony uh, that God is truthful? For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Just to think about, we're not limited in spirit. Jesus wasn't limited in the Spirit. For the one whom God sent speaks the words of God. John was speaking the words of God. Jesus is speaking the words of God. When we speak the words of God, we are also given the Spirit without limit because we're speaking the words of God. And God honors when we speak his word. Verse 35 says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. This, this is what we need to understand the relationship between the Father and the Son. And this is the thing that got the Jewish people so upset. Jesus calling the Father his Father, calling God his Father in the way that he does. And here, this isn't even Jesus saying this. This is John the Baptizer saying this about Jesus. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything into his hands. All things in the hands of God. And then he concludes with, with this these words. Again, these are the words of John the Baptizer. Whoever believes in the Son, that being the Son of God, that being Jesus, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so the question that we we have to ask for ourselves is, where do we stand in relationship to the Son of God? Those that reject the Son of God... They might sound all wise. They might sound all pious. And they do often. These uh, quote-unquote atheists sound all pious, actually. Talk about Christians sounding pious. They're equally as pious-sounding in their own jargon, in their own language. But the Bible teaches this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And so I ask you the question, have you believed in the Son of God? Have you believed in the, the, the birth, the ministry, the death, crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming again nature of Jesus? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? If you believe that in your heart and entrust yourself to Jesus, the Bible teaches that you will be saved. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Now, some would take that verse to to say that it's speaking of annihilation. 
Uh, in other words, in the end, they're just annihilated. They, they don't get to go on forever. They just stop existing. No, because the end of the verse says this, says, for God's wrath remains on him. That coming wrath, the person will live forever outside of relationship with God, outside the presence of God, uh, separated from God to be tormented forever. Question for us that we answer is this. You believe the Son, S-O-N. Do you know that you have eternal life? And, and so the message that, that we would, would have for someone is, is just that first part of the verse or all the verse, depending on the conversation. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John the Apostle later on will go on to say this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Let me put that up on the screen for you. Here we go, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Just got to answer the question, do you have the Son? If you know you have the Son, you know you have eternal life. But friend, if you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. You will spend eternal separation from God. And, and I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Uh, in place your, uh, place your eternal uh, destination in Jesus' hands by faith. Acknowledge that he is God, he is Lord, he is Savior, he is King. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of of salvation. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of the forgiveness of God. In so doing, you become a child of God. Well, friends, we've worked our way through this passage this morning. Uh, tomorrow, we'll move on to John chapter 4, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. My hope for you today, many of you I know uh, on this broadcast, at least the live broadcast, you are followers of Jesus lovers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, but we do pray for those who are not. Some may have husbands, some may have children, some may have parents, some may have other relatives, brothers and sisters that know not Christ, and we pray for them today. Lord, hear our prayer for those who do not know Jesus. Hear our prayer for those who resist Jesus. Draw them, we pray. May, may Jesus be so real in us that they want the Jesus that we have. Lord, draw them to saving faith, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow.